on today's Stuncast, Doom! Doom! Doomsday Machine? Find out on set podcast to stun! Hello, feeble-minded humans, and welcome to Set Podcast to Stun, the podcast where we explore, explain, and enjoy the Star Trek franchise. I'm Clint the Q, joined by Chancellor Emily Gowron. Kaplaha! And joining us, as always, is the incorrigible Captain Corey. Hi. How come he got an extra adjective and I didn't? You got Chancellor. Yeah, but he got incorrigible before his title. I didn't get an adjective. I just got Chancellor. You each get three words to introduce yourselves. You're Chancellor Emily Gowron. He's incorrigible Captain Corey. That doesn't seem fair at all. Yeah, my word wasn't positive either. It's it's not a nice thing that Clint said. And that's why I had a Kurt high. I'm sorry. If you're incorrigible to Kurt, or to Clint, that is actually a good thing. I think you should be incorrigible to Clint at all times. Look, Emily, if you want more words describing you in our intro, you'll have to kind of work harder. You've just been really slacking off recently. So I am drinking as much blood (laughs) wine as it is possible before we do these. Can I add an adjective on? I want to add an adjective, which is problematic. <laughs> and I keep... the problematic Emily. I don't think she's representing the Klingons well. Well, how dare you, Corey? I keep telling you, Emily, drinking blood wine is not a requirement of the show. <laughs> don't get judged on it. What? Well, you do, but not in a positive way. <laughs> it's not at all how I cope with talking to you. It's, <laughs> it's a f- I don't have a problem. The blood wine, I can quit it whenever I like. And um, Corey, I am not a negative representation of my race. I've been to blood wine. I mean, Klingon Academy. Is that like the, the Klingon party school is like blood wine you? Listen, Arizona State, uh, how dare you compare us to that school <laughs> or insert whatever university you like to besmirch here. We take academics as seriously as we do athletics which is a comment on american education anyway this is a star trek podcast and we talk about star trek things it's a great transition to swing into our episode that we're reviewing this week called the doomsday machine even the name of the episode sends shivers down my spine (sighs) spooky 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 all right, so The Doomsday Machine was first aired October 20th, 1967. It was written by Normand Spinrad. What a great name. And directed uh, by uh, Mark Daniels. And, we've uh, heard that name course, a couple times. Mark Daniels. Yeah. Yes, we have. Couldn't tell you what he did, what episodes he worked on. He might, he might have worked on this show or something. So anyway, uh, I guess spoiler alert for this episode the doomsday machine and uh cory why don't you uh why don't you bring us into the into the mission report here what's going on in this episode 
All right, let's do this spooky Halloween episode. You said it came out in like October, close enough for me. Yeah. It is. It's very spooky. It is. I'm just going to interrupt Corey right before we start here. My question is, do you guys notice like the, like it looked like this episode was shot differently. Did anyone like feel that? Well, the pacing was very no. not Star Trek-y. It was very quick. Lots mm-hmm. of scenes. But I felt like, one, there were more people on the bridge than I've seen. And I felt like it was like it almost is like another production company like took over or something. Some of like the camera angles were kind of weird and like the lighting or her wasn't here. Oh, my gosh. That bothered me a lot that her wasn't there. I well, so weirdly, when you said that Mark Daniels directed this and we were like, oh, he did Mirror Mirror, I was like, I wonder if that's why we're starting to like season two so much is that production is like ticking up. So it's not so much maybe the writing or the acting, it's the like editing and overall direction of it. But now I'm like, are you taking this in a completely different direction? I was wondering too if they were getting like more money or anything like that. So anyway, it just felt. It just felt like it was filmed differently than than other episodes. Well, so I would say, and hopefully this isn't too much of a spoiler for Corey's synopsis, but the first chunk of the episode was very spooky, very Halloween, very dark, very creepy, uh, very Twilight Zone. It's like, what is the episode? Is it TOS where everybody's frozen and then they go down and like contract a virus? Oh, the Maraca contagion? Is that what you're talking about? Yes, that one. It's really like dark and heavy sci-fi at the beginning. Um, but then it kind of saggy middles into the Star Trek we know and love. See, I don't think it does saggy middle, but let's get into it. And then we can kind of let Clint adjudicate. Emily's wrong. Wait, I'm sorry. Oh, Wait, attention. What are we talking no, about? No, let let's, let's give our evidence first before you say that. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Corey can wants I start? the win. Yeah, go for it. Okay. So the episode begins with a distress call. As the Enterprise is making its way to the location of the distress call, they start to notice that there are entire solar systems that have been destroyed. Spock notes that where they are now, it's just a rubble field. But just the day earlier, there were seven planets there. Yeah, I will say they're super surprised by this, which is a little annoying because I'm like, This is the exact same thing that happened in the episode with Nomad. You at least shouldn't be surprised that this level of destruction could happen. But they're like, we've never seen anything like this before. Especially not two episodes ago. Yeah, Yeah. it could just be like the remnants of Nomad because that thing was flying all over the galaxy. Non sequitur. Oh, sorry. They get the distress call again. And it's from the USS Constellation, which is the sister ship to the Enterprise. And after flying around for a little bit, they find it adrift in space. It's all damaged. And this is when we find out the name of the captain, or rather Commodore, I should say, because he is going to outrank Kirk, and that plays a role later in the episode. It's Commodore Matt Decker. Also, I'm sorry, but as a fellow Commodore, I feel like you would be more respectful of the rank, Corey. Corey's a captain now. I'm a captain. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Wait, is a captain above a Commodore? We don't know. We're not sure. Wait, you don't know, Corey? Uh, all I know is Admiral's two ranks from now. <laughs> I know. It makes sense that Clinton, I don't know, but uh, you you don't I'm know. I'm also on the Romulan system. You have to murder. It's different for the Romulans. 
But oh, Commodores okay. are above captains. Just, I mean, in this episode, it's you can tell because the Commodore is like, I outrank you. So. Yeah, we use a metric ranking system. A metric. <laughs> a metric. So, Corey, how many people do you have to murder a la the mirror mirror rolls to get well, the Commodore ranking? Well, I mean, <clears throat> it's a little different from the, from the Klingons because we don't murder. I mean, I'm in a high enough position where I just point to my my crack squad of 12 goons and I tell them go slit the throats of those 12 human traitors uh, and then they'll do it and then I just get the credit for it so once you get high enough up you don't I don't personally I'm not a, a grizzly bear oh, I just have a nice course. air-conditioned we're office all, we're all civilized educated sure. officers here I would never suggest that you are murdering people yeah at all well, it did seem like I had to explain it to you, but you are a Klingon, so you guys work a little bit differently. We have very complex layers of social hierarchies. So they find another solar system that's all damaged, and then they find the ship there, and it's just floating adrift in space. And Spock reminds us that um, it's those two things are probably linked in case you weren't paying attention. Um, and then Kirk decides that we better go to battle stations because we don't know what's going on, and then that's when the opening credits start. Oh, I didn't know they started at one solar system and then traveled to another one. Yeah, there's a lot of tiny scenes in this episode, actually. It made mm. taking notes a little tricky because they go back and forth between things. So I, I did condense uh, information a little bit. Yeah, what you're getting tiny, is an abridged version. The tiny scenes are very easy to miss. But you know what's not easy to miss? Kirk is back in a V-neck. He is. He, got, he has his green tunic on. Mm-hmm. And Ohura is missing. They have a different comms officer, and it's a blonde chick just spilling all kinds of stuff that I'm like suspicious because well, it's Emily. Not she's her. not, she's not missing. She's in, uh, she's in her biology class. She's still kids. learning. Yeah, she's crash course and <laughs> she's still re-remembering how to speak yeah. English and not Swahili. Oh my god. No, she's now learning how to like rebuff sexual uh, advances in a very sassy way. I mean, I feel like I was able to learn, relearn SAS a lot faster after my memory was erased, but I did have a wider range of swear words at my disposal on the daily. Well, you are a, a SAS like savant. It's a gift. Does yeah. I mean, I'm dumb at everything except SAS. Wow. Thank you. Because I'm no, pretty that's... good at SAS, so that means I must be really good at everything else. You're confusing it with idiot savant where it is that thing, but a savant is just someone who's good at things. Idiot savant can't be PC anymore. Yeah, there's no way. Clint, rude. No, I think you can still call someone an idiot in today's... Alright, let's, let's Google it. Can I call someone an idiot savant? Google says it's dated and offensive. What? That makes no sense. I've oh, been called Google it. Google says it. I've been called it plenty at work. There's nothing offensive. Like it's not like using like like a slur or like the R word like Kirk used in that that devil episode of Twilight Zone. Like there's nothing. Oh, he said the R word. No, I think idiot is approaching that it's just not 100% there that's yet. dumb let's move on I'm gonna get upset here let's get let's keep going I don't know maybe you just shouldn't call people names Clint yeah maybe that's the whatever you here. whatever you talk whoa oh, 
whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought this was all, I thought we were friends here. All right, we are four lines down my notes. <laughs> okay, so uh, the constellation is floating in space. They can't communicate with it because it seems to be dead. They find out that the ship's power is mostly gone, but there is still life support. So Kirk says he's going to, and I quote, board her. And Scotty Bones Kirk and others uh, go on to the constellation. And others. It's it's a ghost ship. It's The ship is floating and all the people are gone. Yep. There's no survivors or bodies on the ship except for Commodore Matt Decker. Let's stop for dun, a second and dun, talk dun, about dun. if that's a cool name for, for Commodore. Matt Decker is something that could either be your local plumber or a badass 2030, I'm sorry, 2300 space hero. The name I'm, could go either way, depending on what the guy looks like. Decker is like a cool name. Isn't that the the character in Blade Runner, right? It's Decker. Yeah, Deckard Kane. Is it? Deckard. Yeah. Oh, Deckard. Okay. Yeah. Do you think that Blade Runner is referencing TOS because TOS would have come sooner? No, I do not think that. <laughs> Matt Decker, Commodore Matt Decker, looks like shit. He does. He I'm, doesn't look good. I just want to say the word Commodore makes it. If it was just Matt Decker, it wouldn't be a cool name. But Commodore Matt Decker, that's a cool name. I do love how beat up he looks. Like he, he, this guy has been drinking. He has seen some shit. When he is on this uh, Constellation ship, the actor is selling the traumatized dude real hard. Yeah. No, he has like a five o'clock shadow a really long five o'clock shadow. It's like a seven o'clock shadow. He's all greasy <laughs> and he has matted hair and it he almost really nailed the like thousand yard stare. Mm-hmm. Like it almost looks like almost that he's going to be the episode villain, but who, who can say at this point who can say also, I feel like that. I don't know. His hair looked pretty white. I don't like it. It was almost like he's been through so much stress that it like made yeah. his, him go gray or kind of white. I thought that was a thing. I don't know. But I thought, I thought, speaking of his hair, that he looked exactly like Lord Denethor from Lord of the Rings without the wig. (laughs) (laughs) So the bags under the eyes, yes. Otherwise, no. Also, Corey, I I have to watch him eat a eat a tomato to really uh, see to be able to see the comparison. Yeah. So Matt Commodore Matt Decker, he's all in a daze. He's the only person on the ship. Um, he's like slumped over his chair. Bones gives him an injection because he's not responding to anything. He's just looking around and blinking. And then he comes around and he manages to tell them what happened. Um, but he's still kind of out of it. So please clear this up for me because I did not 100% understand it. But here's basically what he says. They were destroying the USS Constitution, was destroying the... I'm sorry. The USS Constitution <laughs> was surveying the destroyed solar <laughs> no, system. No, the constellation. The USS Constellation was surveying the destroyed solar system. Deckard beamed his crew down to the third planet of that solar system for some reason, and then that planet was destroyed. He stayed behind on the ship because the ship was about to be destroyed. Is that right? Is that what happened? Sort of. I feel like they were like, we were coming here because we got a distress signal and then something just was destroying planets 
And I was able to beam my team off because I thought they were going to destroy the ship. And then they ruined my transporter. And everyone's like, beam us up, beam us up. But I couldn't do it in time. And the thing destroyed the planet with all my people on it. Okay. And I heard their dying screams. Yes, I think what Emily said was essentially right. Okay, so he's real fucked up. Yeah. Uh, They ask him, what attacked you? And then he says, they say there's no devil, Jim, but there is right out of hell. I saw it. I also 100% wrote that in my notes (laughs) because it's such a chill line and it's not at all dramatic. (laughs) The guy that did it, he did some pretty good acting because he's like breaking down crying while he's telling them all this. Uh, The last thing he says is that it was like a mile long monster thing that can destroy planets and consume ships. And he specifically says it can consume ships. And I just want to highlight that for later on in the episode. That won't be important at all. Well, I will say prior to them finding him talking about how this episode has a bunch of little scenes. There's a lot of like um, Spock does a bunch of scans before they go over there and he's going to stay on the Enterprise and then um, Scotty is doing all these other checks. Like there's definitely and then Kirk like spins this yarn where he's like, well, I think this is what the mystery is. And this was a machine and blah, blah, blah. And like everybody's gone, but there's no like piles of paper or cups of coffee left behind. So there's lots of these little like solving mystery bits that contribute to like this early spooky vibe. Yes. Yeah, I kind of left that tone out of there, but you're right. They they do set this up as a ghost ship, kind of a uh, uh, what's the name of the movie, Clint? The the ship that comes back from hell. Event Horizon. Oh, Event Horizon. Oh, Have my you seen God. Event, you've seen Event Horizon? Yes, I've movie? seen Event Horizon. That movie is bananas. It's such a, would, I love that movie so much. That would be a great Halloween special edition. So Spock gets readings from the constellation and he confirms that it was a giant robot weapon that sustains itself by destroying solar systems and planets and it eats planets to refuel itself. So that's what they're dealing with. Then Sulu is able to track its trajectory and he says it comes from another galaxy and now it's heading towards Earth or the most populated part of our galaxy, which Earth is in. I think I don't know if they mentioned it, but he's like, oh, it's going through the the most populated part of our galaxy and um, it's heading well, for Rigel. Mention next. Earth. Oh, yeah. Rigel, which I like because Rigel is like a name in the other Star Treks. So, like they talk about Rigel seven and stuff. Don't mm-hmm. they? Yeah. 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 I like that. I don't know if it matters, but he's like, it's got an anti-proton beam. He's like, it's pure anti-proton. It's like chef's kiss. It's like extra virgin olive oil. Mmm, this is. <laughs> There's a lot of techno babble in this episode. It's the most techno babble I think we've gotten out of TOS. I do like, we've missed the part where though, where when Kirk is getting really philosophical, um, Bones, who by the way is part of the et cetera people, does deliver his famous line. No, I said Kirk Bone Scotty. 
Oh, my bad, my bad. <laughs> I thought you called him an etc. because that's how he functions in this episode. Yeah, he he dips out real quick. Yeah, he's no, not really in the forefront. You absolutely forget that he's a thing. Well, okay, go ahead and say what he says next because that's actually my next note. What the he philosophical says, thing is. Kirk is like, what if there was a doomsday machine like the old timey H bombs? You know that were there to destroy civilization. The last ditch effort for two civilizations in war. What if there was that? And yeah. then Bones is just like, damn it, Jim, I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I don't know what that means. What's a doomsday machine? And also he says like it's a machine that was never meant to be used. It was just meant to say, we will destroy you if you try to destroy us. Yes. Right. And it must have been unleashed at some and point way in the past. The only explanation for what we get for this plastic cat tunnel with the eye of Sauron inside of it. We we are almost there. Uh, Decker and Bones beam over because Decker's Commodore Matt Decker isn't feeling too good and he needs to go get medical treatment. So now it's just Kirk and Scotty and some rando who stays alive the entire time and they good stay time. on the constellation. He's got a yellow shirt probably. Yeah, he's 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 good. He's got plot armor. And they stay behind to try and figure things out and try and get the ship going again. But suddenly on the Enterprise, it's red alert. The machine arrives. It's called the Planet Killer later in the episode, which I think is just metal as fuck. So I'm just going to call it that. From I think they on. wanted to call this episode the Planet Killer, but they didn't for some reason. Planet Killer is way better than Doomsday Machine. I don't know why they didn't follow that instinct. It, well, so it's coming right at the Enterprise. Let's have a little description contest. Emily, you go first. I'm sticking with my uh, plastic cat tunnel with the Eye of Sauron inside. I, I said it's a giant metal worms with flames for a mouth and camo tarps draped over a cage frame. I'm going to call it an iron bugle with a molten core. It's 100% modern CGI, and I don't think it looks very good. It doesn't. It looks. It doesn't look good in either. It's the in uh, either version. It's the mama of the episode in uh, TNG where they have the orgasm game. This is what spawned that. It's the exact same generation of CGI. I felt. <laughs> I wanted to. Let me see. What I said about it, like when it has a close up, it literally looks like a bunch of tarps were stretched over like a Mardi Gras float. It has the weirdest texture. Someone said it was like a uh, windsock that like they dipped in cement. But oh, that I, hate, wasn't I even hate the description. I don't even like the sound of that. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Uh, he envisioned Doomy is a brittle Norman Spinrad was displeased with the model used for the planet killer, which he was the guy who wrote this episode. He envisioned a doomsday machine bristling with all sorts of evil looking weapons. It had become anecdotally reported that the doomsday miniature was made of dipping a windsock in cement, but there's no firsthand accounts of that. Okay. So this thing is coming at the enterprise. It fires at the two ships because they're not far apart. And this planet destroying solar system, annihilating doomsday monster damages the enterprise's transporter with its, laser that it shoots out when this anti-proton beam when this happened i gave up on the intelligence of this episode (laughs) a little bit like it it, oh and it knocks out the comm system as well i forgot to say that 
Well, yeah, it does. But they were always having problems with the comms. They're like, oh, we were having interference. So it really just kind of, it didn't like break the transporter. It just made it so you had to fiddle with it a little bit. And that's uh, that's all the damage it will do to any of the ships for the entire episode. <laughs> it's explained a way that it's just not interested in tiny little things. Well, maybe too, like the defensive screens are like really good at defending against anti-proton beams. That could be a thing. I'm not sure. So anyway, Matt Decker, I'm sorry, Commodore Matt Decker. Remember, he's on the Enterprise now and Kirk mm-hmm. is on the other ship. He tells Spock to pursue it. And then Spock says that they are in no condition to chase it. And then he tells Sulu, go meet up with Kirk. Let's go pick up Kirk. And then we get probably one of my favorite scenes in the episode, which is a really cool power struggle scene between mm. Decker and Spock. I don't know I, if you want to take too. it on. When I was watching this, I was like, Corey will love this. I'm <laughs> zero surprised that you like this. Uh, Commodore Matt Decker is not liking what Spock is doing. So he decides to relieve him of duty and Spock takes that uh, bones protests. um, And Spock is like, well, my hands are tied and bones just keeps doing like, do something Spock. Come on, do something. Just fucking kill him. (laughs) And then, yeah. What do you got? Yeah, and then Spock is just like, I can't, my hands are tied. Like, the only way we can do this is, like, you declare that he's unfit. Bone says, I declare he's unfit. And then Spock comes back and says, well, you need to actually examine him and and prove You're that. You're going to have to present his files, your medical files that back that assertion up. Okay, yeah, yes, yes. and then Bones is like, well, my hands are tied. And then, this like, is, leaves. <laughs> this is such a bullshit to blazes with regulation he says this is so stupid spock says that they can remove decker if bones can prove that decker is mentally incapable of commanding bones is bones just saw like literally three minutes ago decker was like passed out he had to give him a shot of some stimulant and then decker just starts like wailing uncontrollably like three or to five minutes ago so if the if the medical doctor of a ship can't say like yeah you are not fit to serve without giving like form 5a you know and like having all the records in paper form and then handing them over like that is such a bullshit regulation what well it's also weird because i mean on a writing perspective matt deckert goes from being this like traumatized guy who can barely speak to being this like I'm going to talk to you about my schemes to overthrow your command so that I can do what I want. Like the, it be, they become two different characters, which is my one big complaint with this episode. They take him from, there's this tension of, is he a reasonable, rational character who is just at odds with the captain or is he a completely irrational evil dude? And it feels like the writing doesn't know which way they want to go with that. Well, I think they're kind of like shoehorning him a little bit into that kind of like Captain Ahab Mm -hmm. uh, role a little bit. Because this, I mean, this, this episode does traffic in Moby Dick. Um, Oh, so, yeah. yeah. So he's definitely the, yeah, the Ahab character here. Um, Well, I will say when I... 
when this dude Deckert was first describing the cat tunnel Sauron, uh, I wrote that it sounds like a space whale, like an 1800s Moby Dick. Mm -hmm. But like part of that novel and why it's still a cultural touchstone is that like you see the reasonableness of this character and then you also see like his madness at the same time. And this turn from reasonable trauma to oh my god he's an unreliable narrator happens so quick and so intensely that spoiler alert by the end he's just judo chopping random people for no reason (laughs) um i don't know i did i did like the job this actor did i didn't think it was like too crazy um i mean he did just like beam down like he he kind of made a major understandable mistake but like he beam down his crew to all be killed leaving him kind of the only one alive so you can see why he's pretty kind of frantic and, and kind i of don't yeah i don't erratic. have a problem with with him but it's like his personality because the, the framing is that he's doing what he's about to do which is attack this thing using the enterprise when nobody wants him to do that to redeem his lost crew and to stop it from destroying the galaxy right he's like this is the only way we can do it so while he's doing that he is like cool as a cucumber he's like cocky when we've only seen him as desperate like if he came off as like we have to do this spock please but he's like no you're gonna listen to me we're gonna do this like he comes off as evil so that doesn't work so much because i think he had plenty of motivation to commandeer the ship and try and get revenge but he just comes off as a asshole while he's doing it i think he does it's kind of nice though for him to come up i think it's good for him to come off with an ass as an asshole like in this because he is kind of like the human antagonist even though we have like an impersonal force i think it's good to have a little bit of of emotion and and competition in there see i disagree that's where i think it would have been more exciting to have the competition if we still had sympathy for him like the first episodes and when we're first introduced to him we have a lot of sympathy for him as a character i'm sorry i'm like cracking my knuckles we have a lot of sympathy for him as this person who's gone through this trauma we're on his side and then he beams to the enterprise and immediately burns all that audience goodwill by being a dick and i think it would have been more interesting to have him be someone who still has the audience's sympathy but then is in conflict with these main characters that we know and love like it's really easy to cheer on spock when he's being a dick but like what if we're conflicted between spock saying we can't attack him and this other guy saying we have to attack him well, um, you know, Matt Decker has some some more arc to go. Um, so maybe we should talk about this more w- once we kind of explore it fully. But I just want to say I do like the part where he's like chewing on the tapes. Um, oh, you know, yeah, like he he's is. like fiddling with them and like putting them in his mouth and that sort of thing. I thought that was funny. I, I enjoyed that as well. The Like whatever you have to say about the character, the actor does a really, really good job with this role Um, yeah Mm -hmm. i think he he did a great job his eyes are really expressive and his mannerisms are very idiosyncratic uh you don't get the impression that he's sort of aping on kirk or anyone else who's been on this show it's it's the actor's 
really inhabiting it and doing a great job. So yeah, I don't know. He's all over the place, but I'm I'm liking Decker. So um, where where do we go from here, Corey? Okay, so Bones has been dismissed from the bridge. We will not see him for the rest of the episode, even when Spock regains control of the ship. He just never comes back. He's playing in his room, drinking. I don't know what he's doing, but we don't see him again. <laughs> Spock is Looking standing. For a Listen, tulip. Just because I'm drinking doesn't mean I have to lay in my room. I'm a functional alcoholic, Jim. Uh, Spock is standing at attention in like a in like a sarcastic way, like just staring forward with his arms folded behind his back and there's evil music that plays as everyone looks at Decker because now he's in control of the enterprise. So meanwhile, Kirk and Scotty are still trying to fix the, what's the name of the ship? The constellation. constellation. I wrote constitution in my notes everywhere. So, <laughs> I the... do kind of love that. You're like, they're still trying to fix the constitution. Brother, <laughs> aren't fix... we all? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, they finally get their screen online and, oh, I should mention Decker has gone in for attack. Now he's in control of the Enterprise. So now he is attacking the planet killer. He's doing Kirk, like strafing runs. Yeah, he's just like blasting yeah. it, not doing anything. Kirk gets his screen online and he sees the Enterprise fighting the space robot worm monster. And he's, he's like, like what, what are you doing? Not my precious ship. What the fuck is going on? The ship had the Enterprise has no effect at all. Decker keeps screaming for them to keep firing and Spock just keeps saying, we need to retreat. This is not going to work. We need to get out of here. And then there's explosions all around the bridge. They're like, oh no, the planet Chalmer is going to go chom chom on some planets that have like a bunch of people. And Spock's like, we got to go warn them. And Deckard's like, we got to fucking kill it. Did he? I don't remember that. This is yeah, the Rigel. So this is Rigel. We're talking. We've talked. Right. Rigel. Rigel. It's going to head towards Rigel and kill everyone. Yeah, exactly. That's what I said. He's like, they are going to go chom chom the Rigel. And then they're like, we got to warn them. And like, no, we got to kill it. And they're like, well, uh, what are we going to do? And Kirk's like, don't get my ship scratched. The uh, Spock finally convinces Decker to veer off but it's too late. The Enterprise is being pulled into the monster. And then we go back over to the constellation. And this is like, this episode is all about Scotty being a miracle worker. I think this is when we see him do that the most is this episode. He's like fixing stuff. He's like, I'm going to give you a, a patch on it, but it's going to blow in a couple minutes. And then Kirk says, he's like, you work on your miracle and I'll work on mine. <laughs> Just get it done. So he wasn't madly- that much of a jerk about that, but it was, it was, I like that part. Yeah, it was cool. It was a cool guy thing to say. They're madly trying to fix the ship. They get the impulse drive up and running. Remember, it's just three of them over there. They charge the phaser bank. They fire at the monster, and it releases the Enterprise. Kirk is able to get through, and he's like, Spock, what's going on? But it's Decker that answers, and he is pissed off at Decker, and he wants to talk to Spock, but Decker won't let him talk to Spock. Uh, This is very much like mommy and daddy are fighting because I just like to remind you that literally everyone on the bridge can hear them being like, hey, what's going on? And then Deckard's like, hey, Kirk, what's up? And he's like, why are you answering? Why isn't Spock answering? And he's like, Spock is being a bitch. And he's like, no, no, (laughs) I don't want to hear about your spat. Let Spock be in charge. No, no, no. Let me talk to Spock. No, no, no. And then like Sulu and everyone else is just like, oh my God, can we just have one meal in peace without you? Yeah, everyone to it. Everyone just starts relieving each other of command. It's kind of a good scene. I, I liked it. 
Yeah, it's like, it's very um, yeah, it's a it's a lovely little touch. Uh, Decker reminds Kirk that he outranks him, but finally, what what leads Spock places Decker under arrest finally, and I forgot like what the reason. Oh, because Kirk just orders him to. No, cause... like what happens is um, he's like continuing his attack on the uh, planet killer. And he's taking some vector of attack or something like that. But um, Spock tells Decker, he's like, this is suicidal. Like, if you continue this attack or, like, continue on this vector, it's going to kill everyone. And so that, it's like, this is a suicidal, it's only logical that this is a suicidal attack. And so if you're going to take this course, that's proof that you're un, that you're suicidal oh, that's right. and unfit to command this vessel. And I can I can relieve you without the like prerequisite bureaucratic hoobly jubilee. The whole scene had the air of a episode climax, but we're still about 20 minutes away from the episode ending. But it, it did have that kind of energy to it, you know? Yeah, and then I think Decker like backs down, and then I think Kirk again gets in contact with the ship again and actually tells uh, Spock on his personal authority to relieve Decker of of command. Yeah, so now he's under and arrest. Decker, Decker's like, cool, 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 cool. And Spock's like, uh, guard, escort him to the med bay. And he's like, okay, okay, I'll go. And then he goes and just judo chops the guy for no reason. What? Well, I love that while he's getting escorted by his one guard, they're all alone in a corridor, and then Decker does the old fake cough sucker punch. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And then he kicks the shit out of the guard, and then he goes and steals a shuttlecraft. I think this was a good fight scene, though. Like, I think this was one of the best fight scenes I've seen in TOS oh, so far. Oh, I don't far. know about that, but... The, one, the ones in the last episode were pretty good. The ones with the weird face paint people. I just thought this one was what when he lamely like sneaks up on that one guy and hits him with a stick. <laughs> the weird like Y-shaped uh, stick. He's like, this is how we murder. <laughs> and they just like walk like a child with it out in front of him. And no, then what him. are you talking about? She kicks all the way up to his face. Well, she That's does a great job, awesome. but not the natives. Anyway, we're talking about this episode, Emily. Um, but I thought this was a good fight scene. It was like a lot of good cuts and like some good choreography. Uh, it didn't seem like they were like on tranquilizers when they were doing this fight scene. So see, this goes right back to my uh, argument that I made at the beginning, which is that I think they're getting better producers. Mm -hmm. Well, and I also the interesting thing about the fight scene is it's between two people that we've never met before this episode. And that's kind of a weird thing. Usually you have one of the main characters in the fight scene, and that is a way to facilitate that whatever needs to be resolved in the episode. Like if you're playing a role playing game, if I just have two NPCs fight each other, like that's a weird thing for me to do. So as you're a DM. like. You're saying, like, we don't care about either of them. So you were like, murder, murder, kill him, festival. You, it's just, yeah, usually, like, you have a main character do a fight because you're trying to move on to the next scene that the right. main character needs trying to, to like, absolve or whatever. Something for that guy. But you're right. And these, there's no stakes for us in what happens with this fight. But the, uh, the Matt character knocks out the other Commodore guy. Commodore Matt Decker. 
sneaks away. He gets a shuttlecraft. He tells Kirk that he's going to Independence Day himself into the monster. He's going to fly into its belly. Exactly what I said as well in my notes. They're like, don't do it, Matt. Uh, And then he does it and he's... The, my favorite part is how he was screaming while he was dying. That was great for everybody to listen to. But that's also what happens in Independence Day. He is screaming as he goes in there. So I did. Rand, Randy I Quaid is laughing. Thing. He's having the time of his life. He's like laugh scream. He's like crazy laugh screaming. He's like, aha, this is how it's going to end. So at this point, we got our, our last commercial break. We come back on and I'm genuinely thinking like, how's the Enterprise going to get out of this one? Because there's not been any development with the monster. It's all been interpersonal power struggle of the ship. We only got 10 minutes of the, of the episode left, and they haven't dealt with this thing that's flying at Earth and friends. Um, but they notice, because Kirk's pretty sad, because he's friends with Commodore Ma- Matthew Perry. Mm-hmm. Wait, what's his name? Commodore <laughs> Matthew Decker. Matthew, <laughs> Matthew Decker. Matt Decker. Commodore Matt Mandler Decker. Bing. Yeah. He's friends with them, so he's he's bummed out, and he's like, "Oh, he died for nothing." But it turns out he doesn't. He didn't die for nothing. Uh, they noticed that the monster's energy levels dropped down just a tiny bit after the shuttle exploded. So they what? realize that they can destroy it from within because it it's made out of what was the metal that it's made out of? Niotrite or something like that? Oh, I forget. So. And as soon- <laughs> As soon as techno babble happens, I'm like, goodbye. I don't pay any attention to that shit. I mean, it's not techno babble. They're going to blow it up from the inside. I thought you were going to be like, Niotrite, that shit's weak. Oh. <laughs> I thought she was like, the inside. I can't follow this at all. No, as soon as they're like, well, it's blah, 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 PM, so it can't be blah, 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 tip. I'm like, don't care. This is the plot device. You're going to fuss, and then you're going to fix it. I don't care. Oh, it's no tr- neutronium. That's what it's called. Yep. See? Technobabble. Don't give a shit. <laughs> the end. I mean, it's one proper noun. No. No, no, no. The only proper nouns I pay attention to are names. Other than that, fuck right off, Star Trek. I'm not learning things. I got enough proper nouns in my real life I have to pay attention to. They should have made it out of un- unobtainium. That's I that am going to slit your throat, Clint. I don't ever want to even acknowledge that a movie exists. We're going to move right on. How Are you talking about you? the core? No. God, that's, I wish. That's Avatar. <laughs> unobtainium is from the core as well. So Kirk has a plan. He is going to pilot the constellation into the monster and then blow up the ship, do like a self-destruct thing while it's inside. That should be enough. Spock calculates to destroy it. Scotty beams back over to the Enterprise, leaving Kirk all by himself. And just to add a little bit more tension to the episode, when Scotty beams over, there's there's some like smoke coming off the transporter and it's not working so well, which is bad for Kirk because... They need to get Kirk off the enter off the constellation before the self destruct goes off. And mm-hmm. uh, when he he set a timer for it. Yeah, he said like thirty seconds. Uh, and when Scotty gets off the transporter pad, he yells at a crewman who's over by the transporter thing to fix it. And it's the British guy, guys. It's the British guy. The blonde <laughs> He's British still there. Guy. <laughs> he hasn't died. He got demoted because he used to be on the bridge. <laughs> So will the transporter work in time to save Kirk from the the ship blowing up in the belly of a space monster? 
It starts to short out. He has 10 seconds left. It's not working. Scotty jumps into a tube and like starts slamming on stiff. And then he yells out, try it, try it now. And then um, it blows up and we don't know if Kirk is saved. And guys, he dies. I know. I, I couldn't believe it. I was it. really surprised that yeah. he died at the end it's of this one. Really shocking. And then the uh Surprise. everyone's like at his funeral. It's <laughs> it's weird because it's like a it's like two minutes left, but like it's like ten years later. And everyone's at his like the funeral memorial thing. And suddenly Kirk just opens the door or like walks <laughs> in the door and everyone just looks up and they're like, What? He does a you... full huck fin. Yeah. He's like, I just I rode the space worm and we had adventures for 10 years and we oh my God. stop bringing up avatar writing the space worm sounds like drinking like some sort of like space tequila <laughs> <laughs> you drink the worm uh no kirk's fine he transports over in the last couple of seconds the monster is dead it's floating there dead in space limp and then kirk muses about the atom bomb yeah, I always turn off the last 10 seconds because I, I couldn't give I'm, the second. I don't have to write any more notes like I'm done <laughs> out of here. I just so that's it. Like, I want to like the bits where Kirk waxes philosophical, but I never do. Like, I'm always like, OK, and then I'm like, wait, you just gave him some dumb, dumb stuff to advance the plot and you didn't explain why it's disappointing. Well, they also kind of like started now like shoehorning in like weird jokes or like some yeah. levity at the end of every, like it always ends on some point of like, oh, <laughs> and I, I kind of forget like what he really says at the end of this episode. He's just like, oh, maybe those old atom bombs were stupid or something like that. Um, yeah. It's, it's frustrating because I don't hate the idea of having like, like you said levity i just it's it's like they don't wrap anything up and they're like well let's just make a joke about it and then nobody will care that these bits are unresolved and i'm like what no, can you that's imagine how that works can you imagine if tng did that like at the end of best of both worlds where john luke picard is like sitting with counselor troy that's how the episode ends and he's just like i don't know how to begin and then ha, Troy ha, like ha. farts or something and then Riker <laughs> comes in and he does it too. And then everybody just starts laughing and then it's just like credits. Yeah. Well that, um, the, I had a birthday recently and my partner showed me this clip where, uh, Jean-Luc Picard is like sitting down he's like, Ensign. And then he looks in the camera and he's like, A is because you're so adorable. <laughs> and he starts doing this like Broadway dance around the like bridge. And then he ends. He just sits down. He gets a little like straw hat that he's bopping up and down. And he's like, ah, you're so cute and sweet. Ha ha. And then he sits down and he just throws the hat away, goes engage. And it's like a clip they made for Gene Roddenberry's birthday. Oh, <laughs> and I literally my jaw dropped and I just watched the whole thing and I turned and looked at him and I was like, when it was over, I was like, what was that? What was that? And that's what that that's the feeling that you're describing right now. Well, everyone knows that Patrick Stewart is just an absolute delight. Yeah, I mean, I am not surprised about Patrick Stewart doing that, but like 
in the Picard uniform. And it was just very like <laughs> discombobulating, like what's happening. And that is what you're describing. Corey is like, what if at the end of every like TNG episode, Patrick Stewart just leaned over to Riker and was like, well, but at least we didn't invite them for tea. <laughs> like, or, or, or like, and, but, and it's like, I don't want to be a Borg to you, but let me tell you about my experience. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. It's weird because, like, it is like they have this really spooky tone, and then it gets very like this guy sacrifices himself. Like, it's really dark, and then yeah, it does feel kind of tone deaf. I wonder if that's sort of like a modern sensibility that we're like, just let sad episodes be sad, and then the next mm-hmm. episode can be silly. Whereas, well, I, like, I here think... they're like, can't leave him on a downer. Mm-hmm. It's just a relic of like older television where the episode needs to end the way it began they went through the adventure but like nothing has fundamentally changed so that's just to say everyone's fine we're all doing good see you next week so um, um well wonder- and, and to oh. like the joke with this one was was kind of lame i just because like like we said kirk was waxing poetic about like the ironies of using an h-bomb like device to destroy this doomsday machine and then spock's like oh i wonder if there's another you know, robot like Floating this. Wondering, yeah. And he's right, like, cause, it's cause, um, Kirk was like, Oh, but the, the machine outlasted the man, like outlasted the civilization. Yeah. And then, and then Kirk was like, well, one was enough, like quite sufficient for me. And then, <laughs> and you want to go done. find the other one. Let's <laughs> talk about trauma. My friend just committed suicide. Oh, <laughs> So I know you guys are bummed out about the death of Commodore M- Matt uh, Decker. I'm yep. but I'm beside myself. I cry. But don't worry because William Wyndham, who played uh, Matt Decker, will actually play the role again. There's a more formal word for that. I think it's reprised. <laughs> yes. In uh, 2004's Star Trek Phase Two fan cast episode in harm's way and i just want to read the synopsis of that episode because the guy is probably like in his 70s when he does this episode again wait what is this what series is this Uh, star trek phase two 2004 fan-made star trek that sometimes starred walter koenig and uh george takei okay 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 and tim russ and all the other people that still wanted a job in the early 2000s (laughs) And the episode summary is the time stream was changed by sending a doomsday machine back in time. There, the doomsday machine destroyed several planets, manufactured more doomsday machines, and began what is now known as the Doomsday Wars. Captain Kirk, played by somebody else, is in command of the USS Farragut and is sent back in time to prevent this from happening and save the future. So if you if you like this episode, consider this a part two to that. Hmm. Cool. That sounds like that actually kind of sounds like an interesting like series or something. Yeah, the production quality is really good too. All right, so let's uh, let's review this episode. Um, Corey, what do you think of this episode? Thumbs up or down? Uh, thumbs up. I really liked it. It's a really good episode. Scotty gets to shine. It's interesting. There's like a twist that Kirk is off of his ship and the antagonist is in charge of his ship. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I think the monster works really well. I mm-hmm. really didn't like that it was super powered down when it was fighting the ships because it wasn't really a threat. 
like it was never a threat. The threat was Decker the entire time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like Decker was really entertaining. And I like the power struggle because that happens right in the middle. And it kind of propped up a saggy middle because mm-hmm. that's all going on when usually people are just wandering the corridors. And yeah, lots of action. The episode never really slows down. So I thought it was cool. There's a couple of TNG episodes where there's like a misguided Starfleet officer who endangers the crew. Um, like Riker's old captain beams aboard and causes problems. And I always like those episodes. I think that's an interesting power struggle to bring in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, James Doolahan, what'd you think of this episode? Ah, I thought it was great. In the 80s, James Doolahan was at University of Are you Nevada. Was it? Is it Doolahan? Duhan? But he, they asked him what his favorite episode was, and he said it was this episode. Huh. Yeah. He gets a lot to do in this one. Yeah. Plus, he says it was just a good, like, he had William uh, Wy- Wyndham, who who played Deckard, and he said he was a good actor. He really liked the uh, the story. Um, he liked the statements about nuclear weapons. Um, he said that uh, Kirk did a good job in this episode. Like, um, he said it wasn't, like, a st- standout Scotty episode, but he was very pleased with his performance in it and he just liked the he said it was it was like a really cool premise and he really liked the the kind of scientific background there, there was actually not really a main character in this episode except for uh commodore dude yeah it is actually like a good ensemble one yeah it is a good episode like when they first beam aboard the goose ship like the first third of the episode i would say is very mystery and there's a lot of really great dialogue of how they're going to solve that mystery like they're like hey we're going to check these logs we're going to do this we're going to run this diagnostic and then here's the info that came back from that um uh leonard nimoy is running different scans like there's a lot of good uh mystery solving going on so i can see where his description of that just being like a good episode like comes from I like the way uh, Leonard Nimoy says sensors. He says sensors or oh sensors. I was just talking about how they all do this. They all say sensors. Sensor. And even it carries into like TNG and like all the new ones. They all say sensors. None of Sensor. them say sensors. Yeah. <laughs> and my my hypothesis is that in TNG or I'm sorry, in TOS, they maybe weren't as familiar with the concept and because it was spelled with an o they're like we have to have it be sensors or like it was filmed in the 60s and it was still that like Catherine hepburn john f kennedy this is how you talk maybe it's like capital and capital you know they're like it's like a synonym for a sensor sensor is a space sensor yeah but like it's just so weird like nobody says it and they've they've continued this so my theory is that this is how you know Star Trek happens in a parallel universe and not our universe because we all say censor. We don't say censor. But they all say censor. In the like Star Trek invented this idea. I don't think like a censor like in a spaceship was like really a, a, a concept, a familiar concept. So I think this kind of like pioneered that kind of just shorthand for being like, our ship can detect stuff and now Today, everyone just says censor. Wait, wait, hold on. I want to say something. What if a tiny little Easter egg would be in the dark mirror evil universe? They say censor. Oh, my God. And so I 
I'm we're sorry, the evil we, universe. Are yeah. we supposed to be shocked by the fact that we're in the worst timeline of all? No, come on. Emily, what do you think of it? I mean, I give it a thumbs up. It's not my favorite, but it's still a pretty solid one. It's pretty amusing. Um, the the suspense is believable. The um, the conflict is interpersonal. Yeah, I give it a thumbs up. I'm going to give it a thumbs up. I think it was a great premise. I really like the idea of a planet killer on the loose. I really liked Commodore Matt Decker. I think the actor did a great job playing it. Um, so thumbs up. Really good episode. And yeah. All right. So then on to our next little segment here, which is uh, heading into the writer's room and how we would change this uh, this episode up. Uh, Emily, I know you got some you got some hot takes here. Why don't you why don't you throw them our way? All right, here's the hot goss. I agree with Corey and Clint. I think you said this as well that um, the power struggle between Spock and the Commodore is one of the best parts of this episode. So my rewrite would have Kirk and the Commodore be the one having the power struggle, and Spock is the one that's sort of marooned on the other ship. Um, and Kirk's argument is like, "Listen, we have to trust our man. Like." we have these enlisted men and we need to put our faith in them. And, um, you know, because there are these moments where the ships are doing things and they're cut off and they can't communicate. And I would love the idea that the power struggle happens between Kirk and the Commodore because it would make Kirk look kind of fallible, which we haven't seen in this kind of command way before. And it would also be really interesting to see the Commodore being like, well, he's a Vulcan. You can't trust him. And really being like racist. Hardcore. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it's going to yeah. make him racist, too. Well, it's kind of implied already that that's why he doesn't want to like, he's like, get out of here. I don't like what you're doing. Like it, it's very coded racism. What? Really? Is I didn't get that. I oh, I wouldn't really either. either. Oh, I 100% got that he was like, get out of here, Just wanted to kill that monster. Yeah. No, I I got that it was like their power struggles were very much like, you don't know what you're doing. But I I think it would be interesting to have those power struggles with Kirk and the Commodore and then have this layer of the Commodore being like, I don't trust him. And Kirk having to essentially go to bat for his enlisted man. Um, That's my rewrite. Wait, can I do a rewrite? Yeah. Okay, so the monster is actually looking for its baby because <laughs> Mama Space Tube. No, it's Grandma Meatloaf. Grandma Meatloaf. And they Me and Mommy Loaf. Yeah, that's my right, right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I will also say they had a couple little bits that were really like you're starting to get a sense of this being like a solid um, series, not just an episode. Like there's a bit where Kirk is like, don't we have a 97% chance of this? Or no, he goes, if we fly something into the demon eater, uh, it's going to have a 97 megaton explosion, right? Spock and Spock is like, no, 97.835. Megaton. Oh, I love that part. Yeah. I did too. And it's such a great little thing because we know that that's a joke that's made before, but it was like not two episodes ago. It was 
a handful of episodes ago. So like there's a sense of like history and, and trusting the audience more, which is very satisfying. All right. Well, I think that's about it for this episode. So we just want to say thanks for listening. We love you. And can I make a request? Can we say we love you all in unison? (laughs) Okay. Uh, Ready? One, two, three. We love you. We love you. (laughs) (laughs) And until until we see you next week, keep on (laughs) trekking.